Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound in my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Episode 213, Bienvenidos Bitches, Buiti Binafia, and thank you for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered and the victims. And that's because, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cisgender white dudes, y'all. What? No, these crimes rarely get any public attention because the news is racist. And if anybody with eyeballs who's breathing... Knows, boy, oh boy, it, it sure does look that way. But I have to say, allegedly. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. That's right. She is one of the good ones, y'all. Aw, thanks. <laughs> you haven't pissed me off yet. You haven't done some racial bullshit yet. See, sometimes those, those friends, we think our friends, not really but yeah. not bad. <laughs> <laughs> we're not journalists investigators or psychologists just a couple of gals interested in true crime also the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions all right Beth. so who are we talking about today today we're talking about former south african police officer nomia rosemary nudlovu who murdered six people in order to cash out on their life and funeral insurance policies I make a say wee. That's a police lady song oh. from Lillian. Anyway, <laughs> no, no, it didn't land. All right. Before we get into it, how you doing? I'm good. I don't have much to report. Nothing exciting this week, which is probably good. How you doing? Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, there's a leak in my ceiling and that's oh, no. fun. The joys of being a 
adult homeowner. homeowner yeah. And I want to call my mom to fix it. Anyway, let's get into some <laughs> let's get into some listener letters. <laughs> well, hello, angels. <laughs> Thank you. Oh man. Oh, so nice. What's in that bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Obri Wan for your five-star review. Oh, that's our girl Bree. We love you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, We're thank the you. Yes. Thank you so, so much. We appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, we got a new Patreon named Tammy W. Tammy W., thank you so much for supporting our little itty bitty show. Yeah. And I'm just going to give you that now because I probably will forget to do it later. (laughs) Red and yellow and pink and green, orange and purple and blue. Tammy, we're thankful for you. Aw. Tammy, we're thankful for you. Aw. <laughs> Thanks, Tammy. <laughs> uh, also, we got a really, really thoughtful, wonderful letter from a listener named Rachel. Yeah. It is long, so I'm not going to read it all, but she said, I love the podcast and I'm a longtime listener. However, I am so disappointed right now. There has been no mention about the very publicized genocide going on in Palestine, let alone any of the four genocides currently happening. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed something quick that was said. But as a true crime podcast that focuses on BIPOC and that says weekly that the news is allegedly racist, the silence is wild. (laughs) And Rachel, (laughs) we hear you. Yes. Thank you. We appreciate the criticism. Clearly, this is coming from a place of love. And we thank you. And to any other listeners who wanted to say something to us. We're all ears. We're all ears. Yes. And we love loving criticisms. You know, we've been witnessing what's unfolding in Israel and Gaza. And I can understand why you've wondered why we have not said anything. I will say that we have discussed it on our Patreon feed, but not on the main feed because, you know, we're not experts. We've been afraid it's been horrific. We also don't know what to say or the right things to say. Yeah. But then I'm reminded, right? This is a place where we can have conversations about all the things, including hard things. And so just before I get into it, we're not experts yeah. <laughs> um, on anything, but we do have no. eyes. I mean, even blind Stevie Wonder is <laughs> seeing what's happening and wrote a whole song about it today. So um, currently, you know, the images of what is happening to Palestinian people are horrible. Yeah. Horrific. 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 Malcolm X said, if you're not careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppression. And the issues that we're seeing playing out have been going on for a long, 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 long time. Yeah. There has also been a long history, though, particularly of people who have a history of oppression in their own ancestry, people of African descent, indigenous people, other people of color, Irish people speaking up against the occupation of Palestine and for the liberation of the Palestinian people. And folks like Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr., Angela Davis, Huey P. Newton, SNCC, and the Black Panthers, just to name a few. And as I said, we're not experts on the conflict. We're not experts on, on the nuance or the history, but we are working to better educate ourselves. But our hearts are aching at what we see. I mean, I can't, I, the images just keep flooding my timeline and I'm like crying at my desk at work. You can't ignore what's going on. And yeah. we, we can't stay silent while this continues. 
And so as we're recording this, there's been more than 10,000 people who've been killed in Palestine. Over half of them are children. And all of those people have been killed in less than a month. People haven't even had the chance to grieve the lives that have been lost. There are protests all over the world that include people of all ethnicities and all faiths, including Jewish people, saying, ceasefire now, not in our name. There's a protest going on right now in downtown Atlanta. Worldwide, people are begging leaders to call for a ceasefire and release the hostages and give aid at a minimum. There are a lot of double standards when it comes to the news because the news is racist. So, for example, when a Palestinian journalist is questioned, they're first asked, do you condemn Hamas? (laughs) And even, you know, when publications are describing death, Israelis are, quote unquote, killed, implying their humanity and Palestinians are simply dead. Hamas is a terrorist organization that is the government of Gaza. And Gaza, people in Gaza, Palestinians don't fuck with Hamas. And Palestinian people are not Hamas. They're human beings just like anybody else. Right. Also, there is a legitimate criticism of the government of Israel. But a distinction should be made of the government of Israel. And the Israelis. And the yeah. Israeli people and the human beings. Yeah. The attack by Hamas upon Israel on October 7th was awful. 1,400 Israeli civilians were killed. And Minnie was telling us, she lived in Israel for a while and uh, I believe went to... She went to the kibbutz that was destroyed. Yeah, and just had nothing but wonderful things to say about her experience there. And there's uh, 200 plus hostages that were taken by Hamas. There can be space for all of the things, the shock, the hurt, the anger, and the fear that it caused. But I have not heard Israeli people demanding revenge. Other than Netanyahu. No, they're actually, yeah, Netanyahu is the one who is spearheading yeah. all of this. And I understand that 75% of Israelis are against what mm. he's doing. They don't, they don't yeah, like they, him. <laughs> he's quite, uh, yeah. yeah, he's really right wing. And the Israeli government has really yeah. gone far to the right. But there, again, there can be space for all of the feelings that we have. You know, and it is true that this was the worst atrocity on Jewish people since the Holocaust. And again, lots of things can be true at the same time. Anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, murder, oppression, all those things are wrong. Full stop. We think there should be liberation and safety for all. And the cycle of violence just has to end. It is so gut-wrenching. sad. Yeah. Yeah. And um, another fucked up thing is, you know, we we haven't said anything. Honestly, one of the reasons is a fear. There are people who, if you say anything, either being accused of anti-Semitism or Islamophobia, people are losing their jobs, their educational opportunities for taking any sort of position. And I think from where I stand, it's fair to criticize governments and institutions and Criticizing the government of Israel is not anti-Semitic, but there are certainly those who are intentionally conflating those two different things. Yeah. And I think it's a tactic to shut people up so that this can continue. It is. Gaza is it's flooding the news cycle. But we also do want to lift up the experiences of people in places like Myanmar, Sudan, Syria, Central African Republic and the Congo. The ethnic violence there is not getting as much news attention. You know, a lot of those people are black and brown. And, you know, my thoughts are because the news is racist. But we always say, look alive, y'all. Keep an eye on things outside of our backyard. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So thank you, Rachel, for your email. We are right there with you. It's gut-wrenching. It's heartbreaking. 
We know you all have thoughts. If you have anything to add to the conversation, get at us. Yeah. And haters are definitely not welcome. Y'all can fuck out of my face. But people with eyes and people with consciences and feelings and, you know, people might have resources to share that would be helpful. Yeah, that would all be wonderful. Yeah. So thank you, Rachel. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Fruities. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, join us on Patreon, where we have literally hundreds of hours of bonus content, and we have a video club for 12-plus patrons where you can interact with us in person. Yes, indeed. All right, let's take a quick break, take some breaths, and get into the story when we come back. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing Podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. We're back! (laughs) Hello! Hello! Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Our subject today is Nomia Rosemary Nudlovu, a former South African police officer who murdered six of her closest loved ones for insurance money. And had Mm. it not been for the hired hitman confiding in the police, she might have gotten away with it. Yes, indeed. And so let's get into it. First, we'd like to say love and light to the victims and to the communities, any loved ones left in the wake of this horrible series of murders. We want to say rest in power to the victims. Their names are Witness Madala Omu, a cousin, Audrey Somisa Ndlovu, the sister of the killer, Yingwani Maurice Mabasa, her boyfriend, Zanel Motha, her niece, 
Willie Mayeni Mashaba, her nephew, and Brilliant Mashego, also her nephew. So now let's get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Tembiza Township in Gauteng Province, South Africa. Although Gauteng accounts for only 1.5% of the country's land area, it is the most populated province in South Africa and is home to more than a quarter of South Africa's population. Wow. Wow. Tembisa Township is located about 50 kilometers. Kahoo! Miles for us. <laughs> dumb, 30, 31, dumb miles. 31 miles. 31 miles. or 31 miles, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Northeast of Johannesburg. The name Tembisa comes from the Zulu word of hope. With a population of over 400,000 people, the overwhelming majority of whom are Black, 99% of them actually, Tembisa is a fairly large and dense township, almost twice as dense as Soweto. It is also Guateng's second largest township. About 1,800 years ago, Bantu-speaking people lived in settled villages in the area, cultivating crops such as sorghum, pearl millet, finger millet, ground beans, and cow peas. They also herded cattle, sheep, and goats. By the way, I saw one stat that people have lived here for over 20,000 years. Yeah. I just wanted to say... It's the <laughs> cradle of the world. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Try to tell us we ain't got no history. Get out of here. So, well, <laughs> just not, not written history is the problem. <laughs> right. And oral counts as literature. I was watching, um, there's this really fun reality show called College Hill, where Black celebrities go to an HBCU for a oh, month. Oh, how fun. And get a certificate. It's hilarious. But uh, they were in an African-American literature class. And the professor was saying there is written literature, but in our culture, there is also substantial oral literature. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that counts. Yeah. The first written records from this area are from the early 19th century when settlers originating from the Cape Colony started establishing villages in the area. Dutch-speaking settlers called Voortrekkers traveled by wagon trains from the Cape Colony into the interior of modern South Africa from 1836 onward. After the discovery of gold in 1886, there was a mass migration into the area, and the region became the single largest gold producer in the world. It was during this time that the city of Johannesburg was founded. So the people of Johannesburg should have all been, you know, rich, living lavish, <laughs> right? All of them? The white people. Oh, no. Wait a minute. <laughs> Damn it. Racial segregation shows up again. And it became firmly entrenched in the country between the world wars. Black folks and Indians were heavily taxed, barred from holding skilled jobs and forced to work as migrant laborers. Squatter camps sprung up around Johannesburg as black people headed to the city in the wake of industrialization. These camps eventually developed into well-organized cities. In 1948, when the pro-apartheid National Party came to power in South Africa, they started to vigorously implement the policy of apartheid. Apartheid is an Afrikaans word that translates to separateness or aparthood, and the primary purpose of apartheid was to separate white people from non-white people. So dumb. I mean, so you're saying I'm here in the cradle of Africa where my ancestors have built societies for the past 20,000 years, and you want to tell me that I'm primitive? 
because I, I because of the color of my skin, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So the government forbade all non-whites to reside in areas designated for whites only and forcefully remove non-white residents living in or in very close proximity to legally designated white areas. In order to house these black South Africans, various new townships were constructed around Johannesburg, and one of those was Tambisa. To break unity amongst black people, the National Party ruled that the new townships had to be divided by ethnic groups. So not only are they separating them by color, they're also dividing them by ethnic groups. Yeah, another way to subjugate or yeah. oppress people, divide yep. and conquer. Yep. South African law also prohibited any white person from entering a black township without permission, except for the security and administrative personnel. Most likely, this was also designed to break any unity between black and white people. It's so sick how intentional yeah, and systematic it is. all of this right. is and was. Yeah. But sports and school musical competitions brought young people from different ethnic backgrounds together. Football, the one you play with your feet, was popular, <laughs> was a, not the one we play here no. on Monday nights. No. Football was a popular sport in the township, as were baseball, tennis, and basketball. Dinaka, a cultural dance of the Bapeti people, was another form of entertainment. Church also played a pivotal role in people's lives, and clubs called Stokevilles were formed in order to pool money together for saving, to buy groceries in bulk, burial societies, and for social activities. Guateng was an important center for the freedom struggle of South Africa against apartheid. It's so funny. I used to think apartheid was ancient history, but it's yeah, not. <laughs> it's, it's very recent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't only happen in South Africa. Yeah. There was the Freedom Charter of 1955, Women's March of 1956, Sharpeville Massacre of 1960, the Rivonia Trial of 1963 and 1964, the Little Rivonia Trial of 1964, the Soweto Uprising of 1976, there's a good documentary about that, and Sharpeville 6 of 1984. There is just too much to get into, but please check our footnotes to learn more about this really fascinating history. Yeah, it is. I wanted to put so much in here, but they I know. just I know. don't have time. <laughs> I did too. Yeah. Residents of Tembiza were fairly politicized during the 1960s, and the amount of political activity in Tembiza intensified during the 1980s, when women also started to mobilize. Mm. In addition to Black people, many liberal white South Africans also joined the struggle for liberation. As political resistance heightened in the mid-1980s, the government, through its police and military personnel, responded with brutal force, killing activists. Many, many activists killed. Funerals of victims, political unrest, became a rallying point for mass mobilization. And just a quick culture corner. I saw, Beth, you put in that dance. I was like, yeah, look at more South African dances. Look, Black resistance is remarkable to me. I, I tingle inside thinking about it. And Beth just told us about the Danica dance. But there's many, obviously, cultural dances in South Africa, including my favorite one, the gumboot dance. And it began as a form of protest by South African miners because the white bosses, when the workers were working, they were not allowed to speak to each other. Oh, my and God. And so the gum boots are these long, black, thick, like rubbery working boots worn uh -huh. by the laborers in the mines. And they started slapping and stomping their boots and shuffling as a way of communicating. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. amazing. I know. And so that's... it's a popular dance to this day, but also wow. um, regarded as a protest symbol. 
And as I said earlier, oppressors, occupiers, and imperialists are always trying to suppress communication and learning through expansion because that's how we get free. Yeah. It's intentional and it's super fucking evil. Super <laughs> duper evil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On February 2nd, 1990, President F.W. de Klerk announced in Cape Town the lifting of the banning orders against political movements. Political prisoners were released, including Nelson Mandela and those who had fled into exile were permitted to return. Apartheid legislation was repealed on June 17, 1991. And in April of 1994, Nelson Mandela was elected as South Africa's first Black president. woo We love that! Yeah. <laughs> However, during this period, Tembiza developed another problem, a lack of housing and gangsterism. In 1986, it was estimated that there were 10,000 people on the waiting list for housing. Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. During this time, the number of informal settlements in Tembiza grew exponentially, leading to a rise in gangs and violent crimes. The most notorious gang was the Toaster Gang, which I looked into, but I couldn't <laughs> find a lot of information about it. I just, the name Toaster Gang, I wonder where they came up with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I'm wondering the same exact thing. Tell us, Fruities, if you know. <laughs> so gangsterism in South African townships is now common and has been attributed to poverty, inequality, and unemployment. I would say it's not those. Th Maybe they contributed, but I, it just seems there's more to it than that. But OK, according to a World Bank report, South Africa is the most unequal country in the world with race playing a key role in society where 10% of the population owns more than 80% of the wealth. Yeah, that's mm. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into the early life of Nomiya Rosemary Ndlovu. Hit it, Beth. Nomiya Rosemary Ndlovu, who went by Rosemary, was born on December 27th, 1975, to a lesbian couple in a rural village in the northern South African province of Limpopo, in the midst of apartheid. A man named Wilson Dambusa Rakatsu was recruited to father their children. Wow. Yeah. That feels so progressive. It does. In the, 80s, and, in the 70s? Yeah. And I got this from, I read a whole damn book. Whoa, <laughs> I read a okay. book in a week. <laughs> so wow. I, I did some speed reading. Okay. And I may have missed some things, but sure, the sure. author of the book is a journalist and she covered a lot of the trial and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And she got mm -hmm. fascinated by this case. So she wrote this book uh -huh. and she said that she expected that, you know, uh, this was a small town. It was a rural mm -hmm. village. You know, yeah. she expected it to be like backwards, like people would be really upset about this lesbian couple, but they weren't. It was right. like no big deal. <laughs> yeah. And that's interest that it's yeah. just I just think that's amazing. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. So yeah. Rosemary was eventually taken in by an aunt when her mother's relationship went south. Her cousin witness Madala Omu was about the same age and they grew up together for a little while. Then Rosemary's biological mother, Maria Sophie, took her and her sister, Audrey, to live in Bush Buckridge, Mpumalanga, to start a new life. Allegedly because her mother, Maria, and I know that's confusing, her biological mother's name is Maria Sophie. Okay. And Maria was her other mother. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Okay. So Maria was angry that Maria Sophie left with the children. So she cursed her. And many people, a lot of the people in the village and their relatives believe that this curse is the reason for Rosemary's later problems. Interesting. Yeah. 
Rosemary's biological father, Wilson, spent many years looking for his girls, but never found them. Rosemary later connected with his family after he died. Maria Sophie married a man 40 years her senior and had a few more children. He died in 1989, and she then sold fruits and vegetables at market to get by. Rosemary attended primary and high school in Mpumalanga. Rosemary's sister Joyce described Rosemary as a jokester who liked to make people laugh. But she was also known to have a problematic relationship with money. She borrowed money from relatives that she did not pay back. Man. Well, if you give family members money, you should expect not to get it back. And if you want it back and you expect it not to get paid back, then don't give it to them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a thank you, my wise friend. So after high school, Ndlovu married a man named Hand Kosha. And they lived in Tulamahashe, a village near Bushbuck Ridge. The couple had a son named Jaunty. With Han's blessing, Rosemary moved to Johannesburg to join the South African Police Service, SAPS for short, while Han remained in Tulamahashe. Rosemary was posted at the Tambisa police station and eventually promoted to the rank of sergeant. She was supposed to come home on her time off, but she hardly ever did. Han died in 2004 after an illness. He had been diagnosed with tuberculosis. Their only child, Jaunty, went to live with his maternal grandmother. But he also died at age 13 while on a visit to see his mother. He had been poisoned. His death was never investigated. Rosemary was the beneficiary of a trust fund set up for Jaunty after Han's death. Now, I don't know if you mentioned the detective, Mabusa. He has been on Rosemary's trail for a long time. Yeah. Okay. I, I okay. don't know if I mentioned him by name, but okay. um, I do at the end. OK, but, at the end. Uh, All right. <laughs> yeah. But he recalls this story of her son. When this going happened. Visit. Yeah. And he thinks she did. It. Uh, yeah. A lot of people think that she yeah. did. It, and, you know, she probably did. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. Well, this is a show about serial killers of color. And here we yeah. go. What's yeah. next? <laughs> So Rosemary was regarded as a respected member of the police force and colleagues described her as, quote, very moneyed and generous, unquote. She gave money to colleagues who were broke and often bought them lunch. Wow. She liked to flaunt her money. She liked to flex. Okay. well, you know, I've never had money, but I imagine that feels good. But then you're like always in the red. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of an asshole move. (laughs) Oh, you think so? To flaunt well, money and like to it's a flaunt. sign of insecurity? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Ah. So one former colleague said, quote, she had lots of money and was generous with everyone, unquote. Many people said that Rosemary loved money and nice things, but her biggest issue was gambling. Uh-oh. No matter how much money she had, she always wanted more, and she often went to a casino called Emperor's Palace. Others described her as a gambling addict who sometimes played hooky from work to avoid loan sharks. Yikes. (laughs) But Rosemary was often stressed and unhappy when she was broke and would tell her colleagues all about it. (laughs) Okay. All right. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present 
If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Well, let's get into the timeline. Here we go. In March of 2012, Ndlovu's cousin witness Madala Omu was found dead in Olifantsfontine, a township just north of Tembisa. Witness was a simple man who did odd jobs and was a devout member of the Zion Christian Church. He did not smoke or drink, did not have a wife or children, and he kept company with a small group of friends. Nevertheless, Undlovu encouraged Witness's mother to add him to a burial society or Stokeville because she said she was worried about his behavior. Witness's mother became alarmed and promptly took a policy out for Witness. Whoa! She then asked her son what Ndlovu meant. He laughed it off, saying that he had no idea what his aunt was talking about. But months later, he was found dead. Witness was killed while on his way back from work. He had been hit with a blunt object over the head. Ndlovu hired a hitman to do the job. Ndlovu then spearheaded a search for Witness. Oh, Where did he go? Oh, no. (laughs) Ultimately leading his immediate family to his body, which had been found by Olifan Fonstein police a few hours earlier. Undlovu claimed more than 131,000 rand from policies after his death. Now, before you get too excited, the rand is worth pennies on the U.S. dollar, so it was probably only about 7,000 USD. Mm. But that's still a lot of money in South Africa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Undlovo only contributed about 200 rand towards Witness's funeral, and only after the family said they were short of money. So she had to be prodded to do it. What? Yeah. Dang, girl. Okay. In June of 2013, Undlovo's sister, Audrey Somisa Undlovo, was found poisoned and strangled to death in her rented room in Tembisa. Undlovo had taken out numerous policies on her sister's name. What? That's suspect. She's alleged to have called the insurance companies herself while posing as Audrey, then listed herself as a beneficiary to Audrey's policy. (laughs) She's so brazen. I know. Jeez. (laughs) Undlovu was apparently the last person to have seen Audrey alive on the day before her body was found. Undlovu showed up for an unannounced visit as Audrey was headed to church, and they went back to Audrey's apartment for tea. Undlovu told Audrey to go on to the shop and get some bread while she prepared the tea. Okay, sister. Sure. You know, I mean, no reason to suspect anything. Anything, She's my sister. I mean, can you imagine Minnie putting out a lot of (laughs) 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 No. No. (laughs) 
This is so foreign. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's believed that while Audrey was gone, Lovu poisoned her tea. Audrey never made it to church that day. Investigators believe that after Unlovu poisoned Audrey, she left, then came back to check on her to see if she was dead. Finding her sister still alive, she strangled her to death. Mm. Unlovu was seen by a neighbor, Mrs. Ngoape, first coming to see Audrey, then returning a second time. Unlovu returned the following day and approached Mrs. Ngoape, claiming that she could not reach Audrey on the phone. Mrs. Ngoape found her behavior odd as Undlovu had tears in her eyes and begged Mrs. Ngope to accompany her to Audrey's apartment. What? <laughs> also, shout out to nosy neighbors. <laughs> Mrs. Ngope did as asked, and suddenly Undlovu began crying hysterically. Oh, she's trying to use those white woman tears. Those don't work. <laughs> and at one point dropped to the ground in tears. <laughs> Undlovu then began calling relatives to tell them that Audrey was dead. They had not even looked in the apartment yet. So how does she know that? <laughs> it's so wild. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Officer, get her. She's right there. <laughs> Several neighbors began to appear. Then the police... And eventually, they were able to gain access to Audrey's apartment. They found Audrey dead in her bed. Mrs. Ngope noticed two teacups in the room and made mention of them. Ooh. Quickly, Undlovu, who was no longer crying, she just... She's like, whoops! Pick them up and wash them. Oh, She's like, oh, shit! Uh, yeah. Oh, evidence? No! Helpful! That's just helping. And I wonder if she was wearing her police uniform. A police sergeant who was one of Unlovu's colleagues warned her against doing that. But Unlovu just ignored her. The sergeant, who felt pity for her, let the matter slide. That's nuts. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Audrey's death was not really investigated, and although Unlovu was a police officer, she didn't push for more investigation to be done. Mm. She received more than 700,000 rand in life and funeral policies opened in Audrey's name. She did contribute towards Audrey's funeral but gave nothing towards the upkeep of Audrey's only child, her son Brilliant, who was living with his paternal grandparents. Wow. If yeah. there is a heaven, I mean, Audrey's got to be up there like this fucking bitch. This bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I just, that is so callous and yeah, very um, callous. evil. In 2015, Lovu had a live-in boyfriend named Ngwani Maurice Mabasa who went by Maurice. Maurice worked for the U.S. Embassy as a chauffeur. The couple had been together for about five years and had a daughter named Makanani, who was six months old. According to Maurice's brother, Justice, Maurice was trying to extricate himself from the relationship. They'd been having trouble for some time, and he'd met someone new. He'd also made comments to Justice that he would not allow Ndlovu to kill him, quote, like she did other people, unquote. Justice did not know what he meant at the time. Interesting. Man, the breadcrumbs are being dropped all over so the place around here. So many crumbs. Yeah. Not crumbs. Giant, giant orange <laughs> construction codes <laughs> pointing in the direction of the murder. Oh, Undlovu. <laughs> yes. Uh, Undlovu recruited a man to take out life insurance policies while posing as Maurice and took out several policies in Maurice's name. Maurice had a total of 16 motherfucking policies taken out in wow. his name. And Unlovu was the beneficiary of all of them. 
Now, this would be to we have like an insurance governing body in the United States. Right. This would be flat. <laughs> 16 yeah. Yeah. insurance policies with one beneficiary is nuts. Yeah, definitely would have been flagged. But I don't know what the what, what it's like in, yeah, South in South Africa. Africa. Yeah. yeah. Some of these burial societies, the Stokevilles, it's just groups of people who pool money. So mm-hmm. it's not That's really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite as formal. Mm -hmm. On October 12th, 2015, Maurice went missing. Undlovu went to the Olifantsfontein police station to report him missing the morning after he failed to come home. His body was found on the 14th, dumped near the Olifantsfontein police station. Hmm. He'd been beaten severely and stabbed more than (gasps) 80 times. Oh, my God. None of his valuables were taken, making it highly unlikely that this was the result of a robbery. Right. And 80 times stabbing. That's a lot. a lot. Yeah. That's rage. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And Lofu put on a show at the police station crying hysterically and falling to the ground. Police officer says she declared, quote, they had murdered her husband, unquote. But police had not yet confirmed or told her that the body they found was that of Maurice. <laughs> she goes again. <laughs> wow. She's, you know, it's How nobody else action. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's just ready for yeah. her close up. Yeah, she thought they called action, but they haven't <laughs> called action yet. <laughs> no, it, it, it hasn't started yet. Rosemary, chill. <laughs> she pocketed more than five hundred thousand rand after his death. About four hundred thousand rand came in the form of policy payouts, and just over one hundred thousand rand was paid out by Maurice's employer, the U.S. Embassy. Mm. She contributed forty thousand rand to his funeral. Little Makanani was sent to live with her paternal grandmother and was a great source of comfort to the woman still grieving her son's death. Wow. But it's Rosemary's daughter, right? Yes. Yes. Makanani is Rosemary's daughter. Yes. But she sent her to live with her paternal grandmother. Got it. In June of 2016, remember where you were then? Anyway, Unlovu's niece, Zanel Matha, was visiting Unlovu for a few weeks. Zanel was 20 years old and had three children. On June 13th, she was hit by a vehicle. Some sources say car, others say bicycle, but it was in Kempton Park. She was treated at the Tembisa Hospital for pain, scratches, and bruises. They discharged her on the 14th, saying that her injuries were only superficial. So I wonder if it was a car, if uh, Undlovu tried to have her Arranged run over. it. Yeah. yeah, I wonder too. Mm-hmm. And Lovu took her home only to rush her to the Arwip Medical Center on the 16th, where she was declared dead on arrival. What? She had sustained internal injuries and broken ribs. What? And Lovu was again the last person to have seen her alive, and she pocketed almost 120,000 rand in policies. She did not assist the family with burial costs. Wow. Well, yeah. Wow. So I don't Uh, know what happened. I think she beat her up. That's what it sounds like. After she brought her back. Yeah, because she didn't die in the accident. So she took Mm -hmm. her home and then beat her up and brought her back. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But that is just too close of a timeline for it not to be suspicious and for somebody not to take note. Like, this is weird. Yeah, she claimed, if I remember correctly, that the hospital didn't diagnose her correctly, and it was their fault. Oh, okay. 
Well, in 2017, Unlovu and Maurice's daughter, Makanani, died under mysterious circumstances after coming to visit her mother. She was three years old. Unlovu became the beneficiary, surprise, surprise, of a yeah. trust fund set up by the U.S. Embassy for Makanani. Mm. So, yeah, we don't know what happened, but it was mysterious circumstances. So, yeah, she probably got killed her. Explaining to do. Yeah. On April 10th, 2017, Zanelli's brother and Undlovu's nephew, Willie Mayana Mashaba, was also killed. He was found with a gunshot wound to the head. Willie had met up with Undlovu the day before his body was found dumped near Alifant's Fontaine with major head injuries. Willie's cell phone records put him in the same location as Ndlovu at the time of his death. Ndlovu claimed to have given him a lift that he was headed to Pretoria and she had just dropped him off at a gas station on a freeway near Pretoria. Although Ndlovu had policies opened in Willie's name, she did not claim them reportedly because she had been red flagged. Yay, finally, <laughs> as yeah. a possible insurance fraudster. And at least one of the policies, she listed Willie as her spouse, but she failed to provide the required supporting documentation. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> In January 2018, Ndlovu's nephew, Brilliant Mashego, the son of Audrey, whom Ndlovu murdered several years earlier, learned that Ndlovu had pocketed cash after his mother's death. He wanted some money so he could go to college, of course. Instead, Undlovu offered to take Brilliant under her wing and promised that she would help him find a job. Don't do it, Brilliant. Auntie, I'm good. Uh, Can I not? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we have yeah. to go on? <laughs> yeah, we're almost there. We're almost there. Okay. <laughs> on January 24th, Brilliant's body was found bound, beaten, and pierced through the skull with a sharp <gasps> object then oh dumped God. at a marketplace at Bushbuck Ridge just a few days after he left home to meet Undlovu. Mm. Undlovu, however, had failed to share with her immediate family that she had seen Brilliant before his death. Brilliant had a son who was just a few months old when he died. Oh my gosh, that is really sad. Yeah. I, I just, ugh. <laughs> I do not like Rosemary. Yeah, and she's watching like, videos ugh, of her she's such in a, the ugh. courtroom, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. So, Unlovu had insurance policies on Brilliant, and in at least one of these, she had listed Brilliant as her son, meaning the insurance company would need proof of this before paying out. She received no money after his death and contributed nothing to his funeral. But Unlovu had pocketed by now more than 1.4 million rand. That's $95,000 U.S. in total for all of the insurance payouts on her relatives' deaths. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. What the what, Beth? In March of 2018, a man named Njabulo Kanine went to the police to report that Ndlovu had hired him to kill her younger sister, Joyce, and Joyce's five children. Mm. A sting operation was set up where an undercover police officer was brought under the guise of assisting Njabulo Kunene and his friend in wiping out Joyce and her family. And Joyce is Unlovu's younger sister. Correct. And five of her nieces and nephews, her five niblets. Yes. Okay. So during the undercover operation, Unlovu was recorded on a hidden device planted in the vehicle. She and the three men were traveling it, detailing how she wanted Joyce and her five kids 
The youngest was just five months old, by the way, to be burned alive in oh their home. Oh, my God. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. yeah. Did you watch the sting tape? No, I didn't. Did you? Yeah, it was it was out of this world how just brazen she was. Yeah, I think I, I would have been really disturbed watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Undlovu told the quote unquote hitman that she wanted the job done because she was desperate for cash and on the brink of losing her BMW. Oh, no. Send somebody my BMW. BMW. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, so she was about to lose her BMW to a loan shark that she owed money to. The hitmen were to be paid from the insurance payout. Jesus Christ, this lady. Uh, yeah, she's the worst. Rosemary Ndlovu was arrested and charged with murder, attempted murder, and conspiracy to commit murder. Behind bars, she tried to arrange for a hitman to take out one of the police officers who investigated her. She also continued to try to get cash payouts from insurance companies. Hey, <laughs> bring! Uh, yeah, I'll see you. Got my check yet? Uh, no, you're in jail for insurance fraud. Click. Uh, so, Listen, nah. bitch. Yeah. <laughs> oh my oh god! Oh my god! Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Now let's get into the trial. Boy, oh boy, Beth, is this what a humdinger <laughs> hit it. <laughs> so during the trial, Undlovu often behaved dramatically and erratically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because that's an understatement. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She she was really putting on a show. Yeah. She declared herself a celebrity and struck Mm. poses for the cameras. Later, she turned mercurial and would sometimes throw things at journalists like food and toilet paper. And she often feigned illness. Another thing I noticed is that she looked quite glamorous in yes. court. Yeah, she lashes on, yeah. full beat face. Yeah, uh, she dressed nice up outfit. and made up her face for mm-hmm. the the photographers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Undlovu had no witnesses except her mother coming to her defense. While the state provided witnesses, including police officers who investigated these killings, cell phone records which placed Undlovu in the company of most of her victims before their deaths and documents from insurance companies. More than 50 state witnesses testified and gave details on how, besides Joyce, Undlovu had also wanted her mother, Maria, and her cousin Gladys killed. Jesus! So she had plans, yeah. There was more? (laughs) There was more. Oh, my. There was the undercover footage showing Undlovu telling an undercover cop how to kill her sister and her five children 
by setting the house on fire while they were sleeping. Oh, my God. Jury, get a load of this. And now, <laughs> are you convinced beyond a reasonable doubt yet? Because there's more. <laughs> Audio recordings from the insurance company had been sent for voice analysis. And an expert concluded that the person who called the insurance companies claiming to be Beth, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> claiming to be oh Audrey was... In all probability, Undlovu. Evidence presented to the court indicated it was Undlovu's phone that was used to make the calls to the insurance company. Undlovu claimed she had given Audrey one of her cell phones. <laughs> ah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> all of her excuses are so transparent. Like, yeah. Oh, they're awful. That's a great word to, yeah. We can yeah. see right through it, yeah. right through all of it. Undlovu's defense lawyer, Vincent Sokol, said she had insured her family members out of the kindness of her heart. What heart? You mean the stone cold one that killed six of your family members? So Undlovu said she started insuring family members after a previous unpleasant experience in which she incurred the cost to bury a relative who was unemployed and had no insurance. This was questioned by Judge Ramarumo Monama, who said witnesses had testified as to how little monetary assistance Undlovu had given towards the funerals. For some victims, she had contributed nothing at all. Oh, so what you got to say now? Yeah, what you, what you got? What you got, Rosemary? <laughs> so uh, in his closing arguments, Soko pleaded with the court to find his client not guilty, saying all the evidence they had was circumstantial. In her closing arguments, prosecutor Rihanna Williams said a pattern had emerged that showed Undlovu was the last person to see the victims alive, or she was the first one to notice them missing and report it before they were found dead. After a three-month trial which dominated national headlines, Undlovu was found guilty of the murders of all six victims. In the sentencing phase, a criminal profiler, Lieutenant Colonel Elmarie Myberg, testified. She said that Undlovu was a meticulous and manipulative serial murderer who showed no remorse or empathy as she had family members killed to capitalize on life insurance policies. She said, quote, the accused monetized the lives of her relatives. She saw them as a commodity, unquote. She added that killings were carried out against the victims who were people that Ndlovu should have had an emotional bond with. In her report, Myberg said that Ndlovu refused to take responsibility for the crimes and showed no remorse or empathy towards the victims. She added that Ndlovu posed a high risk to commit further crimes. I see. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Myberg also said that Ndlovu should be sent to prison, adding that there was a poor prognosis for rehabilitation and that Undlovu would most likely remain a significant threat to society for the rest of her life. I mean, for God's sake, she was still trying to get that police officer who was onto her yeah. uh, killed while she was in jail. Yeah. So Undlovu, who spent most of her time swaying from side to side as she sat in the dock, attempted to ask for forgiveness from the families, but in the same breath, still maintained her innocence. She said, quote, to all these families, I know they think I am responsible, but that is not so. The truth is only known by God. However, be that as it may, I would like to ask them to forgive me. I have also made peace with the court's decision, and I accept it. I welcome the decision of the court. I am not angry with anyone or anybody, unquote. Sure, Rosemary. Yeah, I was going to say, well, thanks for telling us. We don't yeah. give a shit. We also don't believe you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nundlovu ended her mitigation by asking the court 
is she could be transferred from Kogoshi Mampuru Prison to Johannesburg Prison as it was closer to her family in case they wanted to come in there. Are you serious? Yeah. No. No. Oh, my God. Don't visit Aunt Rosemary. She'll kill you. It's a no. On November 5th, 2021, Nomia Rosemary Ndlovu was handed six life sentences. She was also sentenced to an additional 30 years for fraud, incitement to commit murder, and the attempted murder of her mother, Maria Mushwana, her sister Joyce, and Joyce's five children. All right, so let's get into where are they now? Well, Ndlovu faces a new trial alongside a colleague of hers, a policewoman named Nomosa Madao. Ndlovu was a police officer at the Tembisa police station while Madau was stationed in Norkem Park. They are charged with conspiracy to commit murder. The two are accused of conspiring to kill Mudao's now ex-husband, Justice. His life was spared because the hitman warned him about his wife. Wow. A police affidavit alleges Ndlovu advised Madau on how to do it, that Ndlovu was, quote, requested by Namsa Mudao to help her to get a hitman to kill her husband, Justice Mudao, unquote. Wow. Still going, huh? Still going, yeah. <laughs> so the two accused have pleaded not guilty. Namsa Mudao has claimed that her husband, Justice Mudao, was physically abusive, a charge which Justice denies. He claims that during their marriage, Namsa would threaten to have him arrested using her position of authority in her line of work. As far as I can tell, the trial is still pending and possibly concluding at the end of this month. So we don't know what the result of that trial oh, that's is gonna yet. Go. Yeah. yeah, definitely. We'll stay tuned. Yeah. All right, Beth. So uh, let's get into our takes. All right. What do you think made... What the what? Yeah, yeah. this woman. <laughs> what are your thoughts? What the fuck? Yeah. I am dying to know. <laughs> So as I've said many times before, I'm not a psychologist, but she sounds like a psychopath to me. Yes, thank you. <laughs> With uh, histrionic traits. What's that mean? She was so dramatic. Uh, histrionic, um, it's when you're super dramatic. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. There is yeah. a histrionic personality disorder. And um, if you ever meet one, you will never forget them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. They're, wow. they're, they're very dramatic. Oh, yeah. okay. Got it. She grew up poor and that's probably mm -hmm. why she got fixated on money, but it was yeah. to the extreme. Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She became addicted to gambling mm -hmm. and maybe when her first husband died, he died of tuberculosis. So she didn't do that one. Yeah. But she got a payout. And that might have been like an aha moment for her. What an odd aha moment. To yeah. Have. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and to be able to kill your family members, including your own children. I can. And wanting her sister and little nieces and nephews to die in a fire. Yeah. That is cold blooded. That is heartless. E evil. It's evil. Yeah. It yeah. is evil. One of the things that struck me as I was researching this story was how careless she was. <laughs> we right? were laughing about that, like leaving the cups at Audrey's house and then like uh, starting to cry about people's deaths when they haven't even been found dead yet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The cell phone evidence, uh, rushing to collect the insurance money. 
maybe she thought that because she was a police officer that people wouldn't suspect her and it didn't matter mm-hmm. that yeah. uh, she yeah. would get away with it. But jeez. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, she was a woman of the law. And so I bet you she felt a protection yeah. shield yes. over her because she was essentially the right. law. Exactly. So what do I got to follow the laws for? I'm law enforcement, bitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I agree with you about the lack of resources as a child and how that really like affected her relationship with money. Right. And it became unhealthy to the point where it was a gambling issue and she started taking out life insurance policies on her family. She was addicted to money and had a hoarding, like stingy mentality around it. She wouldn't share it with people who needed it. And uh, look, (laughs) I have no problem with people who are thieves as long as it's rob from the rich and give to the poor. But she wasn't (laughs) doing anything like that. Um, So money makes people do crazy things like kill family members. Also, I watched a bunch of clips of her in court and her facial expressions were worth <laughs> thousands of words. Yeah. She just had such an intense like side eye and eye rolls. Yeah. I think I saw her sucking her teeth and it gave me <laughs> flashbacks to like holidays with the most evil of aunties. You don't you don't want to give that auntie any any sugar oh, cuz no. you know she's just going to hurt your feelings. <laughs> anyway, uh, so also I wanted to, this detective, Keshi Mabunda, he is the one who's credited with noticing how suspicious her activities and insurance policies were and, and investing, following that, yeah, following that lead for like three years, he said. Yeah. And he is pretty sure she killed more people. Yeah. And I, you know, agree. I, I gotta think there's gotta be more out there yeah. given how brazen she was and how long she operated. But what a wild story, Beth. Yeah, it was really wild. Yeah. yeah. And uh, again, rest in power to the victims and then all the, the loved ones. And the, yeah. again, the community. This is a lot of people to have died at the hands of somebody in law enforcement who's supposed to serve and protect. So I can just imagine right. how jarring all of this was for the community. Yeah. So let's get into how not to get murdered. <clears throat> If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. I was just going to suggest, based on the case, find out if anybody... If you taken out any life insurance insurance on you. (laughs) Yeah. How do you find that out? I don't know. Let us know, fruities. Yeah, fruities. But I I mean, maybe my partner, my spouse. Right. But and I have life insurance on on that. But other than and I have life insurance on my kids. Right. But other than that, I wouldn't suspect anyone having a life insurance policy, but just be on the lookout, y'all. (laughs) Because Uh, that's, that's the only tip. And if anybody listening has a better tip, uh, we would love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, now let's get onto the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any other marginalized or minoritized folks or any true crime goodies. Okay. Beth, what do you got? So I wanted to shout out Deadlock on Prime. Mm -hmm. It's spelled D-E-A-D-L-O-C-H, like the Scottish spelling. Okay. It's on Prime. It's an Australian comedy detective show. Oh. So it's really funny, but there's also, you know, a mystery and a 
detective element. There there are lots of white people, but there are people of color as well. Okay. And the main character is a lesbian. They, they live in this town that's like, there's just tons of lesbians. <laughs> oh, interesting. What town yeah. is this? Deadlock is oh, the, that's the, the name, name of, of the town. town. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to shout that out. And then the second one mm-hmm. is really good. Lawman Bass Reeves on Paramount Plus. Have you watched it yet? No, but that name sounds familiar. Is Bass Reeves, isn't he? He's a, a real black person. Cowboy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He he's the first was, black one. He was a uh, U.S. Marshal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So this that show is amazing. based on him. Uh-huh. It's produced by Tyler Sheridan, the same guy who does Yellowstone. He did 1883 and 1923. Okay. Which I don't really care for Yellowstone, but I loved 1883 and 1923. Okay. And it's got the same vibe. And the main characters are black, you know, it's the U.S. Marshal. And Love then, it. you know, his family. And then... There are white people in it, but they're like side characters. Oh, okay. I love this. Yeah. I don't really have any new shows. Um, I hate to say this, but the election is a year away. And so I've been listening to a lot of political podcasts. A lot of political stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to shout anyone in particular right now. Oh, no problem. I'm just surprised because you usually have like three or something. Yeah, I usually do. I yeah. usually do. What is wrong? I don't know. But um, <laughs> uh, oh, you know what I do want to shout out is when we did our video club, Corey told us about something that I have put in my queue, but I haven't consumed yet. But it comes recommended by our fruity Corey. So we know it's good, y'all. It is called The Uncanny Counter. And it oh, is right. They are. It is. It's a Korean program, I believe. And these people are in the afterlife business. When a modest teen is chosen to join a team of grim reapers, he levels up to fight evil spirits (laughs) and school bullies. Yeah, and it's on Netflix, isn't it? Yes, it is on Netflix. Thanks, friend. Yeah. So those shout outs are, to recap, Deadlock on Prime, Lawman, Bass Reeves, a program on Paramount Plus, and The Uncanny Counter on Netflix, which was recommended by one of our fruities. Oh, boy, oh, boy, what? That's the end. Yep, that's the oh, end. Man. It's time for bed. Time for night night. I okay. think you're ready. <laughs> can you tell? Anyway, that's the end of the episode. Uh, that's it for today. Where can the people find us, Beth? In the meantime, if they want to, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. Mm. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. Five, five stars, stars only, only, please! please. <laughs> also, don't forget to subscribe. That's right, y'all. Well, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.
I don't know what happened. It's okay. People are fallible. I could <laughs> be that wrong. That word wrong. And here we go. My mic is fucked up. And I fixed it. Oh, there's a giant leak in my ceiling. That's fun. Anyway, I am so sorry. You must be tired tonight. Oh, I am. Oh, I am. <laughs> so I'm like getting ready, getting my tea ready. So excited to get into this episode. And then there's a leak. And now in you want to sleep. Ceiling. And now I. What else, God? What else? The world is falling apart. What else? Oh, sorry. Nevertheless, and lo. How do you say it again? Ndlovu? Ndlovu. I was practicing earlier and I can't get it. Mpumalanga. Njabulo. Olifantstontein. Olifantstontein. Fontein. Olifants. Olifants. I'm sick of that city. I think olifants, maybe elephants. Fontine, oh. I don't know. Makanani. Makanani. Nudlavu. Nudlavu. Who murders? Nudlovu. Nudlavu. Nudlovu. I, t- I practiced on some of these too, but I know I'm <laughs> yeah. going to fuck them up. Yeah, yeah. We're, do- we're doing our best. Yeah, we're doing our best. Pronunciation. <laughs> Good job on the pronunciation. Thank you. I was, I, it, you know, when you, when in gymnastics, when you're watching the Olympics and they do a flip and they land and close their yeah. eyes, they're like, am yeah. I still alive? That was what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Dinner's coming up. Okay. Um, but now I lost my place. Oh my gosh. I'm <laughs> sorry. I have to say this to somebody. I love it or leave it is one of my favorite podcasts. I listen to uh-huh. it every weekend. John Lovett. I love it. He was yeah. he was in Oregon and he was like, let's have a contest to see who's the weirdest in Portland, Oregon, because it's keep Portland weird. Weird, yeah, right? right? Yeah. So they had all these people come up. One one woman, her weird thing is when um unhoused people poop or pee in the street in public, she makes eye contact with them. And then, <laughs> I know, I know. What? What? And then that sounds very uncomfortable. Very. But the other lady, she has been stealing traffic cones in the Portland oh. area since she was a child, and she has a whole room Holy full of cow. them being stored. I, 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 I get that. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Look. This it was keep Portland weird, and I am convinced that it is very much that. Um, I'm sorry to go off on that tangent. Back to the story. Okay. Wow, I'm really fucking this. Yep, that's the end. Man. It's time for bed. Time for night night. I okay. think we're ready. Can you tell? Okay. All right. Tight. All right. Night night. Bye. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident. That's up to you and the law to decide. 
But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. 